So last week I recorded a segment on mental health crisis and clergy, and I talked about a Westpath study or uh, an abbreviation of a study that they did on United Methodist clergy, and it started off kind of pointing out problematic things about the United Methodist Church, but then spread out to American culture broadly as well as culture within the church broadly. And I had to stop because I was out of time. It was like an hour. And uh, I thought I'd already said enough things to upset people. And to my surprise, nobody really gave me much hate. I guess I've already kind of chased people off who would do that. I don't know. Uh, but I'm, I'm happy about that. I'm not at all disappointed that I didn't get some hate. But I, I was disappointed that I wasn't able to cover the final bit of that uh, summary report on the Westpath study. So I wanted to pick back up, and I wanted to dedicate—it's really a short segment of the study, but I wanted to dedicate a, a significant amount of time to the topic of clergy finance, because as you—well, uh, let, let's just turn to the report real quick. It starts with just work-related stress generally, where it talks about how many people feel— Clergy feel lonely and isolated at work, and how many are working more than 51 uh, hours a week. Um, and it, it said both of those uh, increments actually looked more promising, but the one that got worse is that fully a third of clergy feel that too many demands are put on them from the congregation. So the comment I needed to make on that was just when you breed pastors to be people-pleasers, then they're not going to be able to establish those boundaries with the local church and say, hey, look, here's what I do. Here's a job description. Here's how much you pay me. Here's what a reasonable expectation is. Here's what I'm going to do for you. Um, here's how I'm going to gladly serve. And if you're not going to be happy with that, then just go ahead and request another pastor because this is what I signed up to do. It's going to be a joyful thing for me, and and you can't be putting all these other expectations on me. So that that would just be a dysfunctional toxic sort of thing whenever a church is continually dissatisfied with the pastor and saying, hey, you got you to gotta do more for us. Do it in this way. Uh, you, you can't, you know, you can't feed trolls. You know, they keep showing up. So you, you have to help people actually be Christians within the assembly. Um, the, the next page on that it dealt with work-related stress, and, you know, it showed 10-year 10, 10 increments and shows how much stress has, has really gone up. Um, except for full-time clergy working 51-plus hours a week. That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, surely I'm reading that wrong. Work-related stress has worsened over 10 years, but percentage of clergy work— Oh, okay, so the stress has gone up, but the percentage of clergy that are working too much has gone down. Okay, that makes sense, more sense. So, uh, and I don't, I don't know what there is to say about that other than, um, you know— I uh, I think you shouldn't be counting your hours of work. Per work should be something that you love doing, you know. Especially if you're serving the Lord, you should love working. And if you're not loving working, then you need to change something. Now there is such a thing as being a workaholic and drawing a sense of meaning from just spending time in work, and that's ridiculous. But if you're serving the Lord, if you're building up the household of God, then that's a wonderful thing, and if you're counting your hours, just going, man, I've, I've only given 38 hours this week, and I'm just done. You know, you're looking at it wrong. I haven't counted the hours I've put into work in a decade because I love my work, and I pour myself out to my work, and then you know, my work is tied to my family, is tied to my everything I love, and that's that's what it should be. I just I have the hardest time believing that that Jesus, Peter, Paul, 
the apostles were just going, I'm, I'm keeping this to 40 hours a week. You know, this is not a profession. This is something where the, the, the ox should not be muzzled as it treads out the grain. We're allowed to coexist in union with the church, and the church takes care of us. But this is just a weird thing that, that modern churches have done where they treat this as like a professional class <laughs> full-time job. And, you know, uh, West Path is a part of that. You know, it gives us these, uh, you know, we have health insurance and we have retirement and uh, it's just like any other job, really, and that's that's really a, a damaging way to look at it and it's causing, I mean, all of this this stuff that West Path reported on, all this damage that, that clergy are experiencing in these different factors, it's all tied to a dysfunctional model of self within the church. So I've actually, whether or not you've received it this way, I've been talking a lot of ecclesiology as I've been going through this, and that is the role and function of the church in light of the scriptures and tradition. Now, the, mo- the meat of what I wanted to talk about is the financial dimension. I'm going to spend the rest of the time talking about money, I think. Um, and so it only has two pages on here. Financial well-being declined to pre-pandemic levels. 73% think their financial situation is at least slightly stressful. That's not great news, but it's also not a catastrophe. I don't know. I don't think. 49% say they are not confident they are on track for a comfortable retirement. And then the last page on finance is um, financial stress has remained relatively stable over the last 10 years but they've only been uh, measuring financial knowledge and retirement readiness starting in 2017. So there's not a lot of knowledge to draw in there. So uh, the reason that we need to talk about finances is because this is actually a huge social issue, not just for clergy, but for all Americans. I just pulled up a couple sample articles. Um, Here we have an article from CNBC, 73% of Americans rank their finances as the number one stress in life, according to a new Capital One CreditWise survey. You can look that up yourself, but I'll I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, Just another sample article. This was another NBC article. More Americans are so worried about money, it's hurting their mental health. Well, yeah, no crap. Um, that's that's kind of what West Path chronicled just within United Methodist Clergy. There's some ways, as I said in the previous installment, that United Methodist Clergy really are exceptional. There are other ways in which they're just representative of the American populace. And that is also an insult because the exemplars of a religious Christian community and tradition should not be suffering from the same poisons as those who are enslaved to the world. And so this is the thing that I I knew I needed to spend some time on because I would feel really guilty if I didn't speak to this. This is something, this is another thing that I hope that the Global Methodist Church actually does better than the United Methodist Church. Um, uh, There's nothing wrong with having a retirement program per se. There's nothing wrong with having base level clergy salary, but there is something wrong with um, clergy associating their profession with a certain class of work, white-collar work rather than blue-collar work. There's something wrong with clergy who are doing their time, climbing the ladder, getting those bigger churches with more higher salaries, and then sitting in a cushy retirement at the end of life and letting someone else proclaim Christ and Him crucified. That's just... Jesus didn't retire... Well, granted, He died when He was uh, 33, but, you know, Paul... Peter, uh, uh, none of them 
retired. Retirement was, that's just a very new concept where you just get to accrue this wealth all your life and then just sit on top of it for the, live off of it for the rest of your life. There's, that's really a, a very modern and really quite strange concept. So perhaps the Bible is a good guide. And um, I had a number of people tell me that the previous presentation I did it on this study was great because I actually had some scripture. So I had two different um, medium-length scriptures for us to look at and think through clergy and church finance. That's what the rest of this is hopefully going to be about. Um, and so the first one is uh, Jesus' words in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. This is on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, "'Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth, the moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also.'" The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then that light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I included that because I, he is obviously talking about money here. It's, it's before and afterwards. I think he's saying if, if money is getting involved in the way that you are seeing God and seeing the world, then it's, it's, it's ruining you. All right, back to the reading, the, the last bit. No one can serve two masters... For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Um, the the actual word there is mammon, and it's 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 bigger than money. It's it's stuff. So you cannot serve both God and stuff. But money is is part of stuff, and it, it is competing for your affections and your attention with God. And you should, um, you know, for some people, the way they interpret that is have nothing to do with money, live as a neo-Luddite out in the wilderness, off the grid, and make a living that way. And that is a valid way to interpret that passage. I would like to also believe that another way to interpret it is there's no problem with having money, but the way you have it matters. And so if you, if you have it in such a way that when you lack it, you are uh, losing it, if it's affecting your stress in life, affecting your your home life affecting your health, and it definitely does, then something is wrong and you need correction. So just keep that in mind as we go forward. There's another scripture I, I knew we needed to integrate into this. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ in the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that many have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So there are actually dozens more scriptures just in the New Testament that we can call on for right relationship with money. 
And so what, what do we do with these? What do we do with the modern situation that we're in? What, what is the chasm that separates where we are from where we need to be? And this is something that I've personally worked on in my ministry for many years to be right with God, and I'm not going to claim to be perfect in my relationship with money. However, what I am going to say is my relationship with money is not coming between me and God or me and other people. And so what I wanted to do was introduce you to a few books. If you're clergy watching this, this is going to be a real blessing to you. But if you're laity as well, this could really be a blessing to you. You know, so uh, there, there's... How about we just start before clergy, basic finance. Um, money is what you need in order to get stuff unless you're living and, and producing, unless you're a producing. But if you're a consumer, if you are a normal person in the modern world, you need to make money to provide for your material means. Now, part of the, the struggle is we have been convinced that we need more than food and clothing and housing. We've we've been convinced that we need a number of other, you're probably watching me on a computer or a smartphone that technically you don't need. But a lot of people, there's a certain standard of living in America, which is higher than the vast majority of humans have ever lived at, that we feel entitled to. We, we feel like we're entitled to um, lots of amenities. We have heating and air conditioning. Previous people didn't have that. Vehicles, vacations, lots of nice clothing. Jesus said, of course, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything you need will be added unto you. That also is in the Sermon on the Mount. And then the question is, do we believe him? He, uh, in that same sermon, preached, do not worry about anything, right? You know, and that's, that's what it ends with, is if you desire the kingdom of God and righteousness, then you don't need to worry about anything. Your Father, who loves you more than any other part of creation, any other animal, he is going to take care of you, and so you don't need to worry about that. Now, that's not prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel is God wants you to be wealthy. He wants you to be comfortable. So I would say that that Westpath study worrying about if people are on track for um, uh, a cushy retirement, a comfortable retirement, I would say that that indicates a, um, uh, a, a concern for mammon. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a, a, like a, a flattering way to look at that, you know, we're not, if we're in this desiring a cushy retirement, we're in it for the wrong reasons, you know. Uh, the other thing to say is a lot of people don't realize this, even though Acts is pretty explicit. The church is supposed to be a financial unit. You know, when we're taking care of one another, when we're watching over one another in love, you know, it tells us to bear each other's burdens. It has explicit scripture about how we care for one another financially, and yet, for some reason in America, we have this notion that we need to maintain this very strict separation between household units and and that we shouldn't get involved in each other's finances, and that level of independence is, is a symptom of a, a radically individualistic society. It's not a symptom of reading your Bible. If you read your Bible, you realize that um, your money is not yours, first off. You know, man, I would be a, a charlatan if I didn't—I should have said that 10 minutes ago— your money is not yours. Even if your job paid at you and it's in your name, nothing you have is actually in your possession. Well, it is in your possession, but it's not yours. You're a steward. You're not an owner. So as the First Timothy reading said, we brought nothing into this world. There is nothing that we can take out of this world. There's just what God entrusts to us, and then he wants to see if we're going to be faithful stewards or if we're going to hoard to ourselves. So do not hoard to yourself things, treasures on earth, 
where moth and rust consume or thieves break in and steal, rather build up treasures in heaven. Jesus talked a lot about money. What you do with money matters, and whenever you desire to be rich, then uh, you're, you're dancing with the devil, you know? And so what is rich? We look at the top 1% and go, well, I'm not as, as rich as them, so I, I'm good. No, you don't measure your sins by other people's sins. You measure, am I wealthy, am I rich, based on who was rich in Jesus' day? So do you know where your next meal is coming from? Do you live in a a comfortable, cushy house? Do you have extra money to spend on luxury items? You're rich. If you live in the United States of America, even if you're living on welfare, in contrast to ancient peoples generally, you're rich. So to desire more wealth rather than to hunger and thirst to, to mobilize the wealth that God has entrusted you for His glory, that exposes a sinful estate that needs correction. So what we're dealing with in the clergy, and I speak, I have firsthand knowledge of this, you know, I, I grew up in a clergy family, but also I've, I've been buddies with lots of clergy. There are a lot that clergy, a lot of things that clergy feel entitled to that they are not. So how many clergy have a nicer car than they need? How many clergy have more clothes than they need? How many clergy go on vacations to, to expensive places, uh, you know, there, there are a number of clergy, I would say the majority of clergy I know waste money. Um, they spend it on luxury uh, l- uh, luxury items that they don't need. They spend it on hobbies that are not helpful. You know, how many, and I'm not going to claim to be perfect here. I mean, surely I've wasted some dollars along the way, and life is not about penny pinching. Uh, I know this. But also, life is not about self, you know, so that how much of my money is going towards me and things that do not last, and then how much of it is being invested in things that that do last, namely those things under the umbrella of the church. You know, Jesus in that section I read in Matthew said, uh, build up treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't consume and thieves do not break in and steal. Well, how do you build up that treasure in heaven? I, I thoroughly believe there is a uh, an exchange rate where when we give our money to the church and to the needy, we give alms and we give our offerings, that that transfers into a, a heavenly bank account, if you will. And I don't go too far with that metaphor because I, I don't imagine that there's going to be rich and poor in heaven in different levels. But I do think there's a difference between those who look at money as belonging to them and for their own sake versus all my money, all that I have belongs to God and it's for His glory. I think a lot of things get clear when when you think about things like that. Now, if you are clergy or if you're just a regular believer, a lot of misery uh, comes from ignorance, comes from not, not knowing your business, not knowing how much you've got coming in, not knowing how much you've got going out, but you just spend it not knowing how much you've got. There are so many people who live that way. That's why credit card debt is so terrible. Um, and by terrible, I mean rife. I mean, throughout our culture, credit card debt is huge. And it's no coincidence that we also happen to be in a country that has a tremendous debt uh, ratio. Um, we, we, as a nation, I don't know how we're going to get out of this. There are a lot of household units. I don't know how they're going to get out of their problems. It's because they have been so intimidated by finances that they don't get control of them. And so you'll find a lot of well-meaning Christians who just go, I'm not going to worry about it. Jesus tells me not to worry about it. I'm just going to do whatever with money, and God will provide. And I think that that is a warping of the Scriptures. When you understand what it means to be a steward, 
then you understand that God gives you these things to be responsible with them. And that means, first off, to know how much you've got, and secondly, to spend less than that. But also give to the needy and to the church. You know, these are things that are much more important. And if it means you don't have as nice a car, if it means that your kids don't go to as nice a school, if it means that your wife doesn't get to buy all the 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 things that she wants. You know, I, I know a lot of clergy whose wives have a taste for fine things and they want to please their wives. And listen, if you want nice stuff, don't marry a preacher. Now, a preacher's not supposed to be kept poor and hungry. He's supposed to be able to 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 tread, you know, munch as he treads out the grain. But even so, if if you're wanting to be rich, I'm I'm so scandalized by rich clergy, clergy that are living like fat cats, you know, and who are getting paid all kinds of money that rightfully belongs to the poor. Um, we're living in a very confused time. We need to occupy this middle space where we are living in a perpetual, continual Sabbath. We're living comfortably. The Lord is providing for our needs. We're looking out for each other. But also, we can't be worshiping money. There's this middle place where money is not clouding the eye, uh, the light is getting in just fine, but we're also not desiring to be rich. We're just seeing money as what it is. It's a tool to be used for God's glory, and that applies in a household, and that applies like an individual's household. It also applies in the household of God. So we don't just push money away and act like it doesn't matter. We don't be ignorant of money and act like it's all just going to come together. We soberly assess the situation that we're in, and we responsibly administer the resources God has given us, whether it's a lot or a little. And if you haven't read the parable of the talents, you really need to, because that applies here as well. Not everybody has the same amount of resources or money. We're just expected to be faithful and capable with what we are entrusted with. And so that means that, that knowledge is power and that we need to spend the time and energy to be capable in finance so that it doesn't ruin and rule our lives. So the very first book I would recommend, this was given me right when I began ministry, and it helped me really get command of this part of my life. Ministry and Money, A Practical Guide for Pastors, is written by Janet T. Jamieson and Philip D. Jamieson. I always assumed that they're married. It's just all the basics of doing uh, clergy finance, church finance, and showing you how to just like balance your budget. And they didn't, I mean, I did have a course in college that tried to teach me and other clergy that we spent like two days on it. It really needs to be something that you spend a season of life working on and understanding. In my, uh, how long, I've been in tw 12 years of ministry. I served a three-point charge, and then I now serve a two-point charge in my three-point charge, we kept the financial information behind a veil. I didn't have access, say, to um, who the giving units of the church were or uh, longitudinal giving trends within those churches, and that meant that um, I was constantly worried about money. And the people in charge of the money who did have that information, they, they wanted me worried about money, uh, but you've got to know the different factors at play. If, if at any point you're intentionally ignorant, keeping yourself ignorant, or being kept ignorant of the finances of something for which you are responsible, you've just got to get out. Because if you are a steward and you're expecting, you're reporting to God as to what you've done with what he's entrusted you, then, then you need to administer those things faithfully, and that means 
soberly, transparently having access to all the information. So that's something I've gotten a lot of pushback on through the years. I'll just tell you, as soon as I came here, my churches hid nothing from me. Both churches, I mean, we're not without struggles, but we are doing just fine financially, even after paying a huge extortion bill getting out of the United Methodist Church, and that's because we have been faithful stewards of what was given to us. Um, another uh, thing that's really helped me, a book, it's called A Framework for Understanding Poverty. It's written by Ruby Payne. Um, she grew up in generational poverty. She explains how that mentality works. She, under, she explains how all the dynamics and poverty work. This is something that, that anybody working with the poor should read, and a lot of people start seeing themselves in that too. A lot of people have really destructive habits around money that they just think are normal because it's how they were raised, where really they need to take a step outside of themselves and look from the outside in and go, why am I doing this? What am I doing? So um, something that, that every household really should do, if you are an adult, if you are over the age of 18, you should have a budget that you keep, whether in writing or on your computer, where you have a line item budget of how much you're spending and how much you're making month to month. And that sounds, I've gotten so much push. I've tried to get so many people to do this, they won't do it. And they would rather be stressed out and paying off all kinds of debt. I've had people in the church that rather than talk to me and deal with this, uh, I see their name in the paper because they get brought to court by uh, one of those local loan sharks that gives out stuff at like 400% interest. You know, it's just not a responsible way to go through life. And if you're feeling judged, I'm not judging you. But I am saying, hey, man, you, you need to adult better. This is part of adulting, and uh, you need to know how much is coming in and how much is going out. I would also, uh, my wife and I, for at least 10 years, have been using um, an online company called Mint for free. You sync your bank accounts and your different stuff with them, and they will show you your spending habits over time. So I can track my net worth going back 12 years, I think, 13 years. I was doing it before I became a pastor. It can show me what percentage of our income is being invested versus being spent. It can show us what we're spending money on. I was looking at it right before. I, I was going to show you that, but I didn't get my wife's permission to show you my finances. But uh, like 20% of our income is is going to food, you know, every month. We got four kids. We got the two of us. That's normal. I think historically humans have spent more like 40 to 50% of their income just on food. So we're, we're doing well. Clergy in particular we should be doing really well financially because we don't usually have to pay anything for housing. Uh, yes, we pay more in Social Security, but that those two things don't equal out. You know, there there are a number of financial benefits to being clergy in America. Really, usually, I just know a lot of clergy that that don't use their money well. That that they have unhealthy uh, spending habits. Something else I'll say: it's not just clergy. There are a lot of people who go to the doctor when they don't need to. There are a lot of people who get a cold, and if they would just wait it out, their body would take care of them just fine, but instead they go to the doctor. There are a lot of people who take medications when really they don't need to. There are a lot of people who don't take care of their bodies, and they have chronic conditions that they manage with doctor's appointments and medications. This kind of gets into the last episode uh, a bit, but uh, you know your, your health has implications on what money gets spent. And even if you're not paying that money, I mean, I know a lot of people, this is not just clergy, I know a lot of people that go to urgent care all the time, and they can't pay that. You know, who's paying that? You. <laughs> or me, you know, our, our shared insurance programs. You know, we we 
think this money comes from nowhere. No, it, it just gets taken from other people and redistributed, and that's why um, uh, the medical field in particular is just getting more and more expensive. So many people are racking up bills they can't pay, and that it has to get paid somehow. You know, so in what ways are you unnecessarily spending money? Uh, it is cheaper to be healthy than to be unhealthy. Um, perhaps the best, most valuable book for dealing with poverty and money in the church that I've ever read is When Helping Hurts by Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert. They get so the Ruby Payne book, she doesn't get into the theology of it, it's just the mechanics of it. This is the theology, it talks about how it is that Christians are supposed to use our money for God's glory and for the benefit of the poor. And I hope I've already said it clearly enough, our money is not ours, it is for the benefit of the poor and for God's glory in the church. And so how do you, what are the principles involved in that? How do we, with a right self-image, minister to other people who uh, hypothetically we can minister to rightly? You know, there's a lot of ways in which money ruins relationships, poisons relationships. How is it that we can use it to glorify God and bring people closer to Him and and give them healing and wholeness in life in our relationships. We live in a really weird period where we have gobs more wealth than any generation before ever has, and yet we're spiritually poor and we're wasting all this money because we have this false understanding of what money is for and how it works. When Helping Hurts talks about how, you know, the burden is not just throwing money at people who say, give me money. I know that Jesus has some words that kind of suggest that that's the only burden. I'm not of that mind. I think that when people are poor and they ask for help, they need real help. There's something wrong and off in their life, and yes, money is a symptom of that. It's not at the root cause of it. So when I, who I have money, my church has money, when people come to us wanting help, help is not, hey, pay this bill so I can keep going the way that I'm going. It's... uh, uh, I need someone to intervene in my life. I, I have a bunch of burned bridges behind me. I have an addiction that I'm nursing. I have a mental health issue that is not being dealt with. I, uh, I, I have a self-discipline issue that is not being dealt with. Um, core to, to the healing is not money. It's not the presence of more money. It's right relationship with others. You know, And that's I said the church is an economic unit. We are here for the healing of the world. And so that means broken people are going to come to us, and our job is to equip them to be healed, to model what healing looks like. We're supposed to be a community of people, good stewards with money, uh, who can model what good stewardship looks like. And then whenever we enter right relationship with these people, we should be able to extend financial blessings among many others to them. So you can't do that if the, the church is operating on a shoestring budget and you you nickel and dime everything, and you're you're miserly about everything. Uh, that doesn't work. So I'm going to point you to a couple other books about church finance. One, uh, both of these are written by J. Cliff Christopher. He's uh, founded Horizons. What is it called? Horizons Stewardship Ministry, something like that. It's a consulting firm for churches. I think based out of Arkansas. Rich Church, Poor Church. It's a fantastic, simple book just comparing churches that are able to be a financial blessing um, to everybody attached to them versus churches that are constantly like stressed out, hurting for money, on the verge of closing the doors. It's not—sometimes you're just in a poor area, and sometimes you're just in a rich area. But a lot of times there are principles and factors at play where, um, you know, 
guys, I'm living in a very depressed part, rural part of the nation, and yet the churches are prospering financially, and it's largely because of the principles that I learned from J. Cliff Christopher. So the other one, um, it has, these are not the same book, Not Your Parents' Offering Plate. He talks about changes in uh, giving patterns in the United States, and uh, he, he makes things real easy to understand, really a fantastic um, body of literature to consult. I, I, I get mailings from Horizons, but honestly, the, the principles that they establish are really pretty key. And it's, it, some people would be disingenuous in listening to me and going, man, this guy is all about money. He's doing this worship of money that Jesus was warning against. And um, I would encourage you to be more gracious in your interpretation. I, the reason that I spent this time years ago studying, the reason that I've applied these principles in ministry is because I think that when we are worrying about money, where is it going to come from? When we're praying for money, when we're when our anxiety is centered on money, that's what makes us guilty of it's stealing it's stealing attention that belongs to God. So I think when we're faithful about money and the resources we've been given, we don't even worry about retirement. We don't even worry about getting the bills paid because there's always enough. You know, you remember the story of the loaves and the fishes? It didn't look like they had enough for everybody, but they were faithful with what they had. They trusted God, and they had more than enough. And if you can't pull that off in America where we're just swimming in money, you're doing something wrong, you know? Um, I know that sounds harsh, and I know there are a lot of people really hurting for money, and they feel like they just can't do any better. Um, you know what? I mean, I, I feel passionately enough about this. If your church is hurting for money or if you are hurting for money individually, you just don't know what's wrong, just go ahead and write me at plainspokenpod at gmail.com. Um, Christians are not supposed to be worrying about money, and that doesn't mean that none of us are poor. That just means that uh, we are content in whatever circumstances that we have. So sometimes you need just a sermon on you're wanting to live at a higher standard than really you're entitled to, and you need to be humbled. You know, sometimes that's the right message. Sometimes it's just, hey, you really lack discipline and you're wasting gobs of money and you need to be more disciplined about how you conduct your money because it's not yours, it's God's, and you're not glorifying God enough with it. it it's worth recounting, you know, in the New Testament, it doesn't say anything about a tithe. You know what the New Testament expectation is for the amount of money that God deserves out of your pocket? 100%. This is something that John Wesley himself talked about. He noted that as uh, uh, Methodists got richer, they got much more miserly with their money, they're much more prone to hold on to it. They wanted nicer things, and they were more distrusting of the poor, and um, that's not how we're called to be. We're supposed to be people that graciously give all that we can and and pour out blessings to people around us, including but not limited to money. And so it's, it's something that if you're worried about... God is calling you to give attention to this so that you are no longer enslaved to that worry, so that you're able to help bring other people out of that. And you know, big picture, if everything went perfect, the church would be a place of financial healing, and the church would be the source of whatever healing is needed for the national debt situation that we've gotten in. That's way down the line. For right now, God just requires us to be faithful in our lives individually, in our communal life together as churches, and... Um, you know, I, I, I know we'll probably never get down to 1% of clergy being worried about money, but it really shouldn't be 73%. You know, Christians should be living out the values and virtues that are taught in the Bible, and that means that we should be faithful with what we got, and we shouldn't be stressed out about uh, things that we can't control. 
So um, there's a lot more that could be said. I, if I'll put links to these books that I reference for anyone who wants to check them out, buy them. They've been a huge blessing to me. Um, but I, I think I've probably reached the limit of what I can do in just a segment here on on YouTube. This is not going to be my main thing, but um, ministry has been something that I've been able to rejoice in a lot the last few years because I got good at this stuff, and um, it's really a blessing to get good at some of these things. And so if you're a clergy who's been putting that off because you feel ill-equipped or you, you just don't feel like that's your calling, you might reconsider your disposition and uh, consider getting strong in an area where you've been weak and which causes anxiety and stress. So anyway, I'm going to conclude this segment. I hope it's been a blessing to somebody. Thanks for all the uh, love and support you give to Plain Spoken. Feel free to share this with somebody you think is bad with money so you don't have to say mean things to them. Um, I'm kind of joking with that, but um, make sure that uh, you treat this topic seriously so that you can be a blessing to others. All right, I'll see you later. Blessings.